right, let's go to uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. We finished up with chapter 4 last week. And, um, and we're going to kind of tackle the subject of chapter 4 just a little bit tonight before we move to, on to chapter 5. Um, but I'm looking at it right now. and Let's go ahead and begin to read in chapter 5 of verse 1. 1 Thessalonians, alright? You guys ready? But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that as the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. All right. Now look at verse four. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. For you are the children of light and the children of the day. And we are not of the night nor of the darkness. All right. So you can see that we got two groups of people, don't we? It says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night to those who are of the night. But... That was loud. But the people that are of the day, it will not overtake us as a thief. OK. And so he talks about there are times and seasons. And we talked about last week what the what the rapture was. Remember, we saw in the different scriptures that he is coming to for a people. For one people to gather them into one place. Right. And for one purpose. And we saw that in the Hebrew customs, when they would have a feast, they would start the feast with the blowing of the shofar, wouldn't they? And their purpose was to celebrate. And that's why they would come together. And when the Lord takes his church and comes in the clouds, remember we said last week there are two different parts. There is the Lord coming in the clouds and then there is the Lord coming to earth. All right. We're not to confuse the day of the Lord with the day of Christ. All right. And if you're wondering where day of Christ comes from, look over with me over to sec peek over to second Thessalonians real quick. And those of you that have a King James Bible, you are blessed and highly favored. Just kidding. But I'm just going to let you know that you will not see day of Christ in a different translation. Um, that's the only reason why I wanted to bring that up to you, okay? So look at um, over chapter, let's see, 2 Thessalonians, and uh, is that where it is, 2 2? Yep, there it is. Chapter 2, verse 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, verse 1, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and what? By our gathering together unto him, talking about when we're gathered in the clouds with him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. All right? Now what was happening here is he wrote the first letter, 
But somebody was sending out letters with Paul's signature on them saying that the rapture had already come and that the day of the Lord was approaching. And so he had to write the second letter here as a confirmation to clear up some things that might be confusing. All right. So the second letter that we'll get into later on is a bit of a summary to clear up some gray issues. All right. Now. If you want to talk about the resurrection, which we touched on a little bit last week, John 5, Jesus told us there'd be a resurrection of the just and the what? And the unjust. Okay. So two different resurrections. All right. And we talked about the resurrection of the just a little bit. But I told you last week that there's a little bit of um, some different stages of the first resurrection. Now, if you want to study the resurrection thoroughly, probably your best scriptures, and if you're taking notes, you can write these down. John chapter 5, Revelation chapter 20, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Daniel chapter 12 for an Old Testament reference. All right? Those are probably your foundation scriptures for the resurrection study. All right? So turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 real fast. And I'm going to put this little diagram up here because it's got our references and it will help us. Um, it'll help us with our notes taking as well. OK. Is that Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Yep. Can you guys see that? OK. Might not be as clear for some people, but it helps me. All right. Revelations chapter 20. Say amen when you're there. Amen. And we're going to be starting at, um, starting at verse 4. Now, it says, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, Neither had they received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Then it says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. All right. So according to that text, how many years are between the first and second resurrection? A thousand years. All right. So the first resurrection is the resurrection of the just. A thousand years later comes the resurrection of the wicked. All right. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll focus a little bit more on the resurrection of the just. If I could have one chapter in the Bible. If they said, tear out a page, Jeremy. You could only have one page. It'd probably be chapter 15 of First Corps. Because it's, it's just got everything in it, in a nutshell. If you were going to take a piece of paper around in your hand and evangelize with it, 
Chapter 15 is probably the best chapter for evangelism. You've got the resurrection. You've got the reason why there's death. You've got Paul declaring that he received what was first given to him, the gospel, the, you know, the life, death, and burial, um, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all there. It's, a, it's an absolute brilliant chapter. But we're going to focus in on 22 of chapter 15. It says, now, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the key. But every man in his own what? Order. order. Now, that Greek word for order is one of military rank and file. Um, another good word to be used there could be in his own company. All right. So he's speaking about a process. If you look at a military parade, you see the different sections of the army go through, don't you? You'll have the cavalry come through, and then you'll have the armory come through, and then, then your foot soldiers, you know. And that's what he's talking about there. He's talking about different companies or different sections. So he says, everyone in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. All right, so Christ was raised from the dead, wasn't he? And it says that there were people that came out of the graves as well, right? So that's the first fruits, Christ and the first fruits. And then who's the next? That's the first group. Who's the next group? Those who were at Christ at his coming. All right. That's what Thessalonians talks about. Chapter four. And then he says, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Now, there's a, so you've got first fruits, then you've got the main harvest. All right, then you've got this other group of people, which is called the gleanings. Now you say, Jeremy, what in the world is gleanings? Well, in Leviticus chapter 19, God gave instruction to the Hebrews that when they would harvest the field... You know, how many harvests a year were there? There was, a, there was, a, there was the, the spring harvest and the fall harvest, right? It's called the former, rain, former and the latter rains, right? So there was two harvests. And when they would harvest the field, God instructed the, the, the tribes of Israel that when they would harvest, that they would leave the corners of the field unharvested. And he called those the gleanings. And when he said when you would when you would harvest a vineyard, that you would not pick up the fruit that dropped on the ground, that you would leave that for the poor and the people that had none. And that was called the gleanings. All right. Now, over in Revelation, when it talks about the tribulation saints, it's interesting that it says that the angels before he resurrected, those saints that went through the tribulation that, you know, the non-believers and the 144,000 that were sealed, these people that believed on the Lord, you know, there's going to be people when we're out of here that didn't believe. But once we're gone, they're going to believe. Amen. There's going to be a testimony of the gospel still remaining on the earth. And there are going to be many people that do not turn and follow the Antichrist. But those that follow him will burn 
And those that refuse to follow him, refuse to take the mark, like it said back in Revelation, um, where was it? Uh, I think it was right there in, um, let's see. And I saw, there it is right there. In, Re in Revelation chapter 5, it says, uh, 20 verse 5, it says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast. And that's a very, that's a, that's a message that is true. There is going to be a group of people that if they, do, if they miss the rapture, that the only way they will be saved is to refuse to worship the beast. You guys remember the story in Daniel when Daniel uh, and his friends were thrown into the, uh, into the furnace, right? That's a picture of what times will be like in the tribulation. What was the, um, what, why were they thrown in the furnace? They wouldn't bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And it's interesting also that when he put the image up, before he asked them to bow and worship, he called all the musicians together and they begin to play. And as they begin to play, that was the cue that they were supposed to bow. And there's a brilliant picture there of how our world is today. You know, music moves people, but music doesn't always move people to worship the right things. Amen. And so even in the last days, I believe that this will be another thing that is used just like it was in Daniel's day that that Satan will use music. He will use the sounds of this earth, of this world and this age to 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 draw people in, to bow down to that image. To make them think that it's okay to receive the mark. And what did the mark represent? The mark represented an alliance to the system, an alliance to the Antichrist. The, you know, the barcode, um, you know, back in the day when I first started studying these things, they would talk about a mark on the hand, a mark on the forehead. And you would think, well, how's that going to happen? But now with the, the biological chips, I mean, we put chips in our cats, chips in our dogs. You know, you can find out wherever they're at. I think the first pe humans to be required to have chips will probably be our military servicemen. Can you imagine a world with no more POWs? Um, being able to track every asset on planet Earth, those, those soldiers, those sailors, the Marines, they all have chips in their hand. It's got everything they need right there, medical, medical charts, everything they need. Then the next thing they'll be wanting to do is put it in our kids. No more, you know, having to worry about, you know, um, Amber Alerts or anything like that. Because, you know, if the child goes missing, boom, straight away. You can see how society is being lured into being like, this will be the best thing ever. You know, think about how many here, like me, hate passwords. I can't, yeah, I can't stand passwords, you know. Now I've got the, the, the iPhone where you just can look at it and it got all your passwords memorized. And I'm loving that. But I'm getting kind of, you know, I'm getting, you know, I, you know, you get softened up to these things. You know what I mean? So anyway, so these people in Revelations chapter four, uh, Revelations 20 verse 4, they're going to refuse to worship the image. And so it's these people here that are called the gleanings. This is what the Bible refers to as the tribulation saints. All right? So, in summary, the first resurrections 
the resurrection of life, three parts. Jesus Christ and the first fruits, which were those that came out of the grave with him. Amen. Matthew 27, verse 52 is a reference for that. It says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Can you imagine running into your aunt or uncle that day? That must have been a day, huh? How can they not believe? That's a good point, Steve. How could they not believe? I mean, I don't think the. I mean, it's a cra that was a crazy day. But sometimes when we read over it with the Easter story and we watch the movies, I don't think we realize how mind-blowing that day was. The whole sky was completely blackened. A great earthquake hit the place. The veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. And that was a heavy cloth. That was, a, that was some piece of, piece of work. Huge tapestry. You know, so you've got all these things going on. Jesus rises from the dead. Aunts and uncles, moms and dads, sons and daughters are walking around alive. That's in Matthew, That's in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53, all right? So that's what we call the first fruits, Jesus and the first fruits. Then we have the harvest or the gathering of the saints. And remember, we said he was going to gather one people into one place for one celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, the harvest is broken into two sections. We've got the rapture, which are those before Christ. Meet him in the clouds at his coming. We're changing the twinkling of an eye. That's what Thessalonians chapter 4 referred to. Okay, that's called the rapture saints. Then you've got this, the, rev, the, the saints that are at the revelation. All right, right before Jesus comes back to judge the earth, the tribulation saints go up. All right, and that's what we call the harvest and the gleanings. That's all part of the resurrection, the first resurrection. All right, then we've got down here what he said in verse 5 of Revelation 20, but the rest of the dead, rest of the dead, lived not again until a thousand years were finished. Okay? That's a long time to wait, isn't it? That's a long time to wait. But why is the Lord doing it that way? Because believe it or not, after Jesus Christ comes back to earth, he judges the nations, the sheep nations and the goat nations, those that treated Israel with kindness and those that treated Israel um, without kindness. They'll be judged. All right. And the nations that were judged for not treating Israel like a brother, like a friend, giving them aid when the Antichrist was persecuting, they will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. But... Believe it or not, at the end of this thousand years, after Jesus makes peace and everything, there is still going to be another group of people when, the, when Satan is released out of the pit, it says, that he will turn the people that have lived for a thousand years, no wars, no famines, no um, just perfect tranquility, 
pure peace with Jesus Christ in charge. Amen. I'm looking for that day, praise God, when Jesus is in charge. And after a thousand years, people are still going to rebel and say that Jesus is not the rightful king when Satan is released after a thousand years. Hard to believe. It's hard to believe. See, that's why we can't really be duped into believing that if our presidents can just make a peace treaty. You know, there's not going to be peace. There's not going to be peace on earth until the prince of anti-peace, the antichrist, Satan, the devil, that serpent, the dragon, is finally bound up and cast into the lake of fire forever. All right? When he is finally dealt with, and the nations look on him and say, is this the man that tormented us? Until that time, there's always going to be the temptation that the nations will rebel. And, at the, and that's why the Lord lets the dead stay in the grave for a thousand years because he's going to have to judge more people at the end of the thousand years and send them down. And then at once... Then he'll dispose of all the wicked. So that's why there was a gap there between the thousand years. So I hope that clears up the resurrection a little bit. Is anybody confused? Do you understand how that works? All right. So that's how that. So remember, the resurrection is between the just and the unjust. But the just is in three stages. Amen. So let's not be confused about that. One more thing I want to talk about real fast is this concept of where do the bodies go when they're dead? Now we can see, I don't know whether that's big enough. Is that, that may not work for you guys. How many was here on Sunday? You guys remember what pastor preached on? Putting you on the spot. No, you don't. He preached about Luke. And he preached in Luke where um, Abraham's bosom. You guys remember that? All right. I want to talk about that for just a few seconds here. So in. Um, let me see if I can get this on here. That'll be the best way to do that. All right. Can you guys see that okay? All right. Let's talk about the grave for a minute. All right. The underworld is basically got four sections to it. We got Hades. All right. And some of your translations might say the place of the dead. I think that's what the New Living said on Sunday. The place of the dead. Uh, the authorized version says hell, which is translated to Hades. We've got Hades. You've got Tartarus. You've got the abyss or the bottomless pit, and you've got the lake of fire, which is Gehenna. All four have a particular purpose, okay? Now, when the best story for, for hell or Hades in the Bible is what Pastor preached out of in Luke, okay? And that's in Luke uh, chapter 16, verse 19 through 31, okay? And... Also, another portion that we can go to is the two thieves on the cross with Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. 
So you got the two thieves over here hanging on the cross with Jesus. All right. There's Jesus and the two thieves. We had a penitent thief and we had one that did not repent. Right. So what did Jesus tell the thief that repented? He said today. Right. This day will you be with me in paradise. All right. So when he said, this day will you be with me in paradise, the paradise that he was talking about was Abraham's bosom, according to Luke 16. Remember, when pastor was teaching, there was one man, Lazarus, who was in a place of paradise. He was, he was not thirsty. He was in Abraham's bosom. But we had another man on the other side. There was a great gulf, it says, and he was what? Tormented. All right. There was the great gulf and he was tormented. So one guy that Lazarus went here. Or I got that backwards. Was Lazarus the rich man that went? Lazarus was a poor man, right? The rich man went to Hades. All right. Or went to hell. The thief that repented went to paradise. The thief that did not repent, he went to hell. All right. Now. Ephesians chapter 4 gives us some insight of what actually happened there. Go with me over to Ephesians 4 real fast. Nothing now. I'm about to show you because paradise is empty now. Yes. Paradise is empty and we're about to read that right now. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse... Um, seven. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Now, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. All right. Go also over to first uh, Peter. I think it's first Peter. Hold on a minute. Get my other uh Everybody there? And I'm going to be in, uh, let's see. 319, preach to those in prison. 1 Peter 319. 4 6. 1 Peter 4 6. <coughs> uh, four, six. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God and the spirit. So when Jesus was in the belly of the earth, like he said, well, I'll show you a sign the same way that Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days. So shall the son of man be in the earth for three days. When he was in the earth, 
He went down to paradise, preached the gospel. Basically, everybody that was in Abraham's bosom were people that were believing on the Messiah anyway. Remember, Old Testament saints are saved by looking to the cross. New Testament saints are saved by looking back to the cross. So all these guys here were waiting on the Messiah. Well, according to Ephesians 4, Jesus comes down and says, here I am. Praise the Lord. We've been waiting on you. Come on. I got a place to show you. So he takes captivity captive. All right. He empties Abraham's bosom because there's no that's not necessary to be there anymore. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But here's the thing. Before the cross, how could these saints go to heaven? Blood had not been shed for their sins yet. So this was a holding cell for the righteous. Okay? Once shed blood for sin was accomplished, they believed on Jesus. He came, he gathered these saints out of paradise and took them to heaven with him. And that's part of the first fruits, okay? So what he also did, though, is... Did he take these guys over here with them? No, they're still there. These guys are going to stay there until the end of the thousand years. OK, so when the Bible now talks of hell or Hades, there's just a place of torment now. But in the Old Testament, when the Bible talks of Hades, it's speaking of the place of paradise and it's also speaking of a place of the wicked, okay? It's important to keep that in mind. But in New Testament, this paradise has been moved up to a new residency, amen? There's, it's in a new place in heaven. So that's important to know. The other thing also that we need to know about is this place called Gehenna or the Lake of Fire, now, Gehenna gets its name from the place where they burn the trash outside of Jerusalem in the Valley of Gehenna. All right. It's interesting that that was also the place in the Old Testament where they used to sacrifice children. So I find it very interesting that the same place called the Lake of Fire bears that same name. Now, the Lake of Fire, who goes there? Well, at the end of the thousand years... Like we talked about, Jesus will come. He will cast all these people here will be raised from the dead. Everybody will be judged. The Antichrist will be judged. The false prophet will be judged. Everything that exalts itself against God and his son will be judged. And all of those people will be placed right here for eternity. All right. So for the sinner, hell is like county jail. Gehenna's like Leavenworth, all right? There's a county jail and there's a federal prison, amen? And that's how it is, praise God. And we don't want to be there, amen? And how many believe in the name of Jesus tonight? And if you believe and you're blood washed, the blood speaks a better word. You know what the blood speaks? The blood speaks that I am going to be in the rapture of the saints, amen? And I will not be judged like the sinner, because Thessalonians teaches us what? That we are not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation, the Bible says. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> so that's just a little bit of a, um, 
a quick a quick capsule of about what you know the four places of the underworld are about. We won't get into the abyss and the Tartarus. That's for another study. Amen. So um, I hope that clears it up for you now. Is there anybody in Abraham's bosom today? No. no. Anybody in Abraham's bosom? No. no. Where are they at? Heaven. Where do the saints go when they die? Heaven. Heaven. Amen. Jeremy? Yes. I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, I don't. I mean, the purgatory I always thought was a place. What was it? Heaven or hell? It was kind of like no man's land, and maybe you can buy your relative into the good land or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what was that, Pastor? Purgatory uh, was like a holding tank, like people said, but also, like you said. You would say a mass or burn candles. Indulgences were invented by some of the popes. Mm -hmm. as, as if you had a rapscallion for <laughs> grandpa, that you could say enough prayers or give enough money to get yep. him. Okay. Uh, and then limbo was a place where the babies went. Oh, limbo is a place for the babies? Yeah. Was it what, what, how did, where do they go? How did, well, <laughs> it's all a progression of how many friends you have behind, I guess. Okay. If, if they pray you out of purgatory, you're going to be all right. Right. If they didn't. And we know, I mean, we know that all of these things were invented and taught to manipulate the church so that they could raise money. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what it was about. All right. And, you know, it's unfortunate. We don't have, we may not call it purgatory, but we have a whole lot of stuff being spoken to the church that is on similar grounds. There's a lot of people that are using, you know, they're using Christian, Christian things to manipulate the saints to raise money. I remember when I was in England, there was a teacher in our, in our neck of the woods, and he would, actually, he would actually preach that the anointing that was on his life, if you would give into this offering, that that anointing can be transferred unto you for a small price. But my Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit, the anointing, is in me, and I need not a man to teach me, for he shall show us what? All things the Bible says. You see, I'm just up here as a friendly reminder to you of the things that the Holy Spirit shows you and to maybe show you where a few references are. But pastor can agree, we as ministers never want to be the mediator between the Holy Spirit teaching you in your life. That is, Jesus paid too great a price for that, amen? And I never want to stand in that place. I just want to be a friendly newsboy telling you where these things are, amen? But the Holy Spirit shows you all things. And he confirms his word into your heart. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. And he shows you and teaches you and speaks to you the things that you need to know. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I think it's something along them lines, Steve. It's pretty hokey pokey if you ask me. I think it's exactly witchcraft. Yep. 
In 1 Samuel, Paul talks about men that would come and their only motivation was filthy lucre, where their teachings were basically motivated by gathering monetary benefits. All right? Absolutely. Well, the Bible teaches sowing and reaping. There's no doubt about that. That's a biblical principle. I fully believe in the in the in the scriptures when it talks about sowing and reaping. But I don't believe in transferring the anointing for, for monetary sake. Okay. Yeah. That's what, that's what the Simon the Sorcerer wanted to do. He wanted to buy the anointing that was on Peter's life. Right? Remember that story? And he wanted to buy that anointing, not because he wanted to help people get saved or that he wanted to do God's business, but he wanted his followers back. Because Peter had a revival and all those people that followed him were now following Peter and he had he was jealous and that's why he said I perceive that you have a gall of bitterness he's looking for a franchise. <laughs> you're angry <laughs> yeah he's looking for franchise man praise God <laughs> Holy Ghost don't franchise man <laughs> hallelujah all right so back over to first Thessalonians then we are here's another one one in Christ. That's right. One in the anointing. Christ means anointed. All right. So, chapter 5, we read, The times and the seasons, you've no need that I write to you. Now remember, how long was Paul in Thessalonica? Three Sabbaths, three weeks. Paul taught these guys so much in three weeks, night and day sharing. He taught deep things of the Bible. He taught about the second coming of Christ. And what did the chapter say in verse uh, chapter four? It says in this, I say by the word of the Lord. Remember that verse over in chapter four? Um, it says. Uh, verse 15. Talking about the rapture. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So this is not man's doctrine. This is not an idea that someone had. This is a revelation of the scriptures that Paul received from Jesus Christ. All right. When he went to Arabia at Mount Sinai, like one preacher said, Paul went down to Arabia. He came back with Romans and Galatians. Amen. That's where God gave him these, these, these revelations, these mysteries, as he calls them throughout his letter. All right, I believe there's like seven mysteries or 11 mysteries that, uh, that Christ gave to Paul that he revealed. We talked about those. All right, so this, this rapture is the word of the Lord. Amen. And remember, we don't, you won't find rapture in the Bible. It's not an English word. It's not a Greek word. It came from the Latin translation, 
But somehow or another in church Bible study, we kept a hold of that word and everybody refers to it as the rapture. A better word is called what? The catching away or the gathering. The gathering is probably the best word we could use for, for the rapture, the gathering. I just like rapture because it sounds great with revelation. They both start with R. Okay, so, now look at this, then he says. I love chapter 5 because chapter 5 should bring comfort to those that walk in the light. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to think that, oh, you know, you better, uh, you better, you, you, you don't, you, you better walk and, you know, be afraid because you don't know when the Lord's coming back. Ah. <laughs> That's not what the admonition is here in chapter 5. It says, For yourselves know perfectly that in the day of the Lord... All right, now the day of the Lord is not the rapture. The day of the Lord is the judgment of God. All right? So, verse 3 says, For when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. All right, so what we're talking about here is to understand what chapter 5 right there in those first three verses is about, we're going to have to go to Daniel chapter 9. We got 13 minutes. I think I can get it done in that time. Daniel chapter 9. If anybody's not sure what books to read in the Old Testament, this is one I highly recommend. Daniel, Genesis, the books of Samuel are good. Um, these Perfectly. Perfectly, yep. I believe they... One is, as a matter of fact, Steve... Daniel was told to seal up the things for they weren't, the time was not at hand. All right. And then John picks up where Daniel left off. And what's really interesting is both of those men had an intimate relationship with the Lord. Um, Dan, Daniel was, um, I think, what does Daniel mean, Dan? God is my judge. And Daniel was a lover of God. And he was, um, he was not a man of war. He was a man of peace. And I find it interesting that God gave such terrible um, prophecies of things to come to men of love. To Daniel and to John, he, you know, the hard words of God were given to men who were intimate with the Lord and who were lovers of God, lovers of men, and they were not men of war. They didn't have an axe to grind. You know what I'm saying? And um, it, great tribulation and all of that that's coming, but there are also great books of extreme hope. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Daniel chapter nine. So that's where you can find that. And I want to, for the sake of ease, I just want to go over a quick little graph if I can with you.
I made these a long time ago and I've been itching to share them, so you're going to be my guinea pigs. We, there's a phrase in the New Testament called the period of the Gentiles. All right, and that's out of Luke 21, 24. All right, Jesus is talking about that. And we've got Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, which basically is, you know, all know the story. It's a quick, it's the statue um, of the four metals, the four precious metals of the earth, and then the clay feet. And each one of these represent a major empire of the world in our world history. I hated U.S. history, but for some reason, I loved world history. And when I read Daniel, I was blown away by the accuracy of what Daniel was seeing. And so basically what we have there is we have a picture of the four main, the, probably the, be the best empires the world has ever seen, from the Babylonian Empire all the way down to the Romans. And each precious metal that the statue was made of. Now this was a vision that, ne that the king... A Babylon was having and he was terrified because he didn't know what the dream meant and remember he brought in the soothsayers and said tell me what the dream is and they said well you tell us what the dream was and then we'll tell you what it meant he said you guys are a bunch of phonies <laughs> he said if you're really what you say you are tell me what the dream was and then tell me what it meant and they were all freaking out and Daniel said look boys because they were wise men. He said, you know what it's time to do, don't you? It's time to fast and pray. And God revealed it to Daniel. And Daniel was able to tell the king not only what the image was, but what it meant. All right. And basically, God gives a picture of the entire human civilization in one man's dream for hundreds and, and hundreds of years. And um, so... The precious metals, if you look at the way the metals are formed from the gold all the way down to the clay, the, the, the metals deteriorate in value as they go down. But they also get stronger as they go down. So what is in monetary value is not necessarily the strongest metal, amen? And then obviously at the end we've got the clay and the iron mixed together, um, which represents are the modern empire that will come. And at the end of that vision, he saw a great stone that was made without hands. And it came from heaven, and it hit the statue on the feet, and the whole thing disintegrated into millions of pieces. And that represents that rock. That's the rock of Christ. Amen? That's, the, that's God's Son. And He's going to come back to earth on this, on this latter kingdom here, and he's going to destroy that kingdom with his judgment. And that's what Revelation is about. And Daniel shows this in, in here. But what's interesting is when Daniel later has this dream, he has a dream of the same kingdoms, but he sees them as ferocious beasts. And so what man sees as precious metals and statues, heaven sees man's empires as ferocious forces. Amen. Uh, ghastly beasts. It's a totally different perspective, earth and heaven. So then, later on, Daniel gets a prophecy in chapter 9 of verse 24 and 27, probably four of the most important verses in the Bible, I would say. And it gives us a period of the Gentiles, which stretches from Daniel chapter 2 
all the way to Revelation when Jesus comes back and he touches Mount of Olives there, all right, which is in Zechariah 14.2. And so from 606 B.C. is when the last Hebrews were taken out of Israel and the temples were destroyed. They were removed. Their kings were removed and taken to Babylon. And so from that time on, from 606 to the time when Jesus Christ comes back to earth is what is known as the period of the Gentiles. But in Daniel's 70th week in verse 24, he says, Now look, a period of 70 sets of seven have been decreed for you. I made this with, I think, the New Living, so that's what translation um, you probably will have here if it sounds different. It says, Seventy sets of seven has been decreed for you and your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion and to put an end to their sin and to atone for their guilt and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. All right. First thing to notice. What does he say? Seventy sets of seven have been dec decreed for who? Your people. Your people. Whose people? Daniel's people. Who was Daniel's people? Israel, the Jews, the sons of Jacob were Daniel's people. So we can automatically take away the church right now. Because this prophecy is not a prophecy given to the church. It's a prophecy given to Daniel's people, which are the Hebrews. OK, so he says a period of 70 sets of seven have been decreed. So what is that? Seventy sets of seven is what is known as, uh, we call it the Shabuah, all right? It's a group of seven. Um, the seventh day is called a Shabbat. The seventh year is called a Shimta. Uh, uh, I'm saying that right. A Shimta is the seventh year, all right? In our English language, we say things like decade, which means what? Ten. Ten. If I was to say fortnight, what would that be? Two weeks, all right. A couple of you guys that have been to England know that. In Britain, a fortnight is two weeks. All right. So that Shabuah is just a way of saying a group of seven. So what he's saying there is 70 sets of seven have been decreed. All right. So if we take 70 sets of seven, what do we get? 490 years. So what? The angel Gabriel is telling Daniel there is your people have been given a time period of 490 years to accomplish these things. So what are these things? First, to finish their rebellion. They have always been a rebellious people, haven't they? Stephen said, you stiff-necked people, you always do resist the Holy Spirit, is what he said before they stoned him. Well, in 490 years, that rebellion is finally going to be put down, all right? Number two, to put an end to their sin. Those that have believed, do not believe on Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Jew today that rejects Jesus as Messiah, the one that came and died on the cross, they are still in their sins. Okay? Number three, to atone for the guilt. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, they will look upon him whom they've pierced. 
They will know that that Jesus Christ that came out of heaven is the same Jesus that they put on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the man from Galilee. Just like Joseph when he was betrayed by his brothers. And when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, there was great lamentation, but there was also a great reunion. Amen. When he restored his brothers. And that's what Jesus Christ will do to the tribes of Israel when he comes back. He will atone them for their guilt. It also says he will bring in an everlasting righteousness. And he will confirm all prophetic visions. In verse 6, and he will anoint the most holy place. All right? So, that's a powerful prophecy. That's one verse. There's a lot happening in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. Amen? Amen. That'll happen in 490 years. Well, look at verse 25. It says, now listen and understand. The seven sets of seven... The seven sets of seven weeks plus 62 sets of seven weeks will pass from the time that the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, come. So what he's saying is 69 weeks, all right, that's 69 sets of seven is 483 years. I know it's, it's a bit late to be doing math, but keep up with me. We got 483 years. In the time of that 400, it'll be 483 years from the time to build Jerusalem to the time the anointed one or the Messiah will come will be 483 years. Now, there were four decrees given to build Jerusalem, but only one decree was given by the king of Persia to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So look at verse 25. It says, Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and what? Strong defenses or walls, despite perilous times. So that decree was given in 445 B.C. And Jesus came through the eastern gate on his triumphant entry, riding on a donkey to the day, to the day. You can research a guy by the name of uh, Sir Robert Anderson. He was an investigator from Scotland Yard, and he did all kinds of study and studying, doing the calendars. It's hard work because dates and times and calendars have changed over the years with different rulers. But he pinned it down that the time that Nehemiah was told to go to Jerusalem to the time that Jesus walked through Jerusalem on that donkey was exactly to the day, as Daniel had prophesied here in chapter 9. All right? So we've got... Now look what it says there. Despite perilous times. So to rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed ruler comes. So that's the first section of the 490 years. 483 years until Christ comes. Christ has come. But... Did the seven other seven, we still got seven years left, don't we? We still got seven years. Look at verse 26. After that period that we just talked about, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Wow. Powerful. 
Jesus Christ was crucified. He was the coming prince that was prophesied. He was crucified, appeared to have accomplished nothing, but he rose from the dead, amen, and accomplished all things, praise God, according to the spiritual. But according to the Jews that were looking for him to boot out the Romans, he didn't do anything, did he? And in verse 26, now after that, after the Messiah is killed, verse 26 says, the, a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city, that's the city of Jerusalem, and the what? The temple. And this end will come with a flood and war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. And so in 70 AD, the Roman soldiers came and they burned Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. The temple was completely wiped out, just as Jesus said. Not one stone will be left upon another. It was completely leveled. All right? So that's this gap that we're in. We're still in this period here now, in the yellow period there. And then the latter verse says, in verse 27, it says, Now a ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, or for one week. Now we're back into our last week. So the first two, the first two, you know, 25 is the 69 weeks. 26 deals with the gap. That's where we're at. That's where the church is at. And then the last week, which is known as Daniel's 70th week, you'll hear that term a lot. Daniel's 70th week that he was told to seal up was given to the Apostle John, and that is what is known as the book of Revelation, where it's the revealing of Jesus Christ and how he will come and display his authority and power over that last seven years of Israel's history, okay? So, it says this, now the ruler... The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of sevens or one week or seven years. But after a half of this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. Now, hold on a second. If the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. And the prophecy here says that a ruler will come and put an end to sacrifices then that means there has to be a temple, doesn't there? There has to be a third temple. There has to be another temple. There's three temples in the Bible. Well, technically, you've got the tabernacle of Moses. You've got Solomon's temple. Then you have Ezra's temple that he rebuilt. And then you have the third temple that will be rebuilt in the last days. So he says... He will put an end to sacrifices and offerings. Well, you say, Jeremy, how do you know that there's really going to be a temple? We can do sacrifices and offerings without a temple. We can do that. Well, let's carry on reading. It says, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate be decreed and this defiler is finally poured out on him. The Bible calls this the abomination of desolation. It's the thing that Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 24 when they said, Show us a sign, Lord, 
that all these things will come to pass. And he said, when you see, as Daniel the prophet had said, the abomination of desolation, know that the world has come to an end. All right. So just like so this in the middle of this week. So that's why we know there's got to be a temple. Because we know that there has to be an abomination of desolation. And what is that? It's where an image is set up in the Holy of Holies. Kind of like what Nebuchadnezzar did when he set up an image and he made the whole world try to bow to it. All right. A similar thing will be set up in the temple of God that is rebuilt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be built. There's no doubt about it because the Bible says it has to be. And so and we see there that in the midst of the, in the middle of the three and a half years, three and a half years after the peace treaty is made, he will break it. And then that's when, you know, the a lot of a lot of terrible things will happen that we won't go into. But that's why I brought all that out to say this. When we saw in Thessalonians chapter five, when he said, you know, these things can't come to pass. Isn't that what he said over there in chapter five? If we go back there and then we'll finish. I know I can see you guys are getting, you're, I'm losing you. I know you need to get out of here. Um, a lot of information tonight. Right there in uh, Thessalonians five, he said, didn't he? Right there. Um, He says, for when they shall say peace and safety, verse 3, then sudden destruction come upon them as a travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Amen. Thanks, Rick. See you, buddy. I know you got to go. Um, so that's what he's talking about there. So that's why it's important to bring this out, Daniel's prophecy here, because that's why... He's, he's telling them, look, you guys don't have to worry. That day's not going to take you by surprise. Why is it not going to take you by surprise? Because you're going to be up in heaven. Because you're the children of light. How can something take you by surprise when you've got a front row seat to the action? You can't be taken by surprise of these things. Because if children of light, we'll be raptured with the Lord and we'll be coming down with the Lord, the Bible says in Revelation. Amen? So that's why we had to go to Daniel chapter 9 to show you for when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction come upon them. What peace and safety? The peace and safety that it says that the ruler will make, he will cut a peace treaty with them, right? It says he will cut a peace contract with them and then all of a sudden he'll break the peace contract.